0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talk today to Mark Selby. He's the CEO of Canada Nickel. And following on from the series he did for us in 2019 about investing in Nickel, we discuss Class 1 and Class 2 Nickel. We also discuss intermediates, laterites, sulphides and HPAL. Hi Mark. How are you? Hey, Matthew. Very good. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. I know. Older and wiser, right? Yeah. (laughs) Older anyways. Yeah. Um, um, Just want to say thank you very much for the piece you did last year, end of last year. We've had amazing feedback on that because it's helped clarify and expand people's understanding of the Nickel markets. And thanks for that. And you're probably seeing lots of different pieces of that now going out to the market too. So appreciate that. One thing we didn't cover though was the this class 1, class 2 debate. We said we'd talk about it a little bit further. So you kindly said yes to speak today. So uh, why don't we kick off. What is what is class 1? What is class 2?
1: Yes. Yeah, so class 1 and class 2 refers to the type of Nickel product that gets produced. So a class 1 nickel um, tends to be LME deliverable and, and meet a purity standard of 99 point eight percent or better um, it gets used you know you need it in applications like alloys um, alloy steels um, plating products um, and then increasingly you know that purity of nickel will be required for uh, nickel sulfate in in into into uh, cars. But again, the key is 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 the product. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what, you know, where it comes from. And I think that's one of the places where people get trapped up. Class 2 basically is a Nickel-containing product that's less than, you know, 99%, you know, that can still be used by a consumer and it doesn't have a terminal market. So, you know, the issue with that is, you know, with an, with a, LME deliverable product. If you can't sell it to a customer, you can always drop it off at the LME and get the LME price that day for your product. Right. Um, you know, class two has to go. You know, to a consumer, and so those products tend to have much more volatile premiums um, than you know because there's not this um, terminal market like you have. What,
0: so, what do you mean by consumer? Because again, terminology in industry is different. So sure.
1: Yeah. So so it, it, it generally, class 2 gets used in stainless steel and alloy steel applications where you know those processes have a robust refining step in the process. So they can take materials that are less pure, or they're quite happy to have the iron that comes along with, with fair nickel because they need to, to iron to make stainless steel or make an alloy steel anyway.
0: Got it. So now we understand what they are there's a lot of conversation online and i think you know you alluded to the fact that perhaps people shouldn't be expending as much energy worrying about whether it's class 1 or class 2 why do you think people are concerned first of all
1: yeah i think you know where it's come down to is is yes we will need lots of new nickel to make nickel sulfate batteries and the nickel that needs to go into that nickel sulfate or the nickel sulfate that comes of it has to have a very high nickel purity to it but that does not you know you know that's that is true but where people get tied up is they then project that all the way back to that okay these types of deposits are only good for this type of application right. you know at the end of the day you, you know there's there's basically three types of you know nickel sources there's mm-hmm. there's limonite ore there's saprolite ore and then there's there's um, nickel sulfide ore N- you know limonite is what goes into the HPAL stream typically mm-hmm. Saprolite is what is used to make ferro nickel and NPI. And then most sulfide ores, they make a nickel concentrate, you know, and that, you know, then gets smelted and and refined. The the key piece of it is that, you know, each of those steps makes an intermediate product, which can be smelted or refined into a whole range. You know, it happens today and will happen even more so in the future because you know, we're going to need a lot more Nickel sulphate. So the Chinese are going to build way more capacity than the market needs, just like they do for every other product. And so, um, you know, so there will be all this capacity to take, you know, to take a HPAL intermediate, to take a, a, you know, a um, pyro ferro-nickel intermediate mat, Mm -hmm. or take um, sulphide concentrate and turn it into 99.9% metal, turn it into high purity Nickel sulphate. Turn it into ferronickel if they need to. You know, again, there's, there's, you know, the, the the you need to completely decouple the ore source discussion from the end product discussion.
0: Right. Okay. So when, so when I'm reading about people, have, well, reading people having discussions, debates, sometimes heated online about, well, uh, I won't invest in laterites. So I'll only invest in sulphides. It, 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 that you're, what you're saying is, it doesn't matter.
1: Yes, it does not matter. You know, okay. There, there are today more natural homes, and today nickel sulfide processing has actually been a bit of an oligopoly between the very small number of nickel smelters that exist. But the Chinese will build lots of capacity. You know, again, I've talked about, you know, again, you know, real world examples in the right. cobalt space. In two thousand and three, China was three percent of finished cobalt production. Right. In three years, they were thirty percent of production, and in, in five years, they were fifty percent of production. And, you know, and that was taking basically intermediates and bags of dirt, sometimes dug by children in the Congo, and and turning it into a usable cobalt product. It was cobalt. It was a various range of cobalt salts. And and again, people get all excited about this Nickel Sulphate Premium. Well, in the cobalt market, because there's so much capacity to make salts in China, salts tend to trade at a discount to the metal, not a premium.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: So. Yeah. So, so again, it's very, you know, people, I mean, that's the frustrating part for me is there's been just much, so much airtime on this class one versus class two. Um, and there's some really bad, you know, to me, sort of pieces of, of thinking that happen and, and get people distracted. What I think is the real issue is, you know, we, is we need to make sure we have enough Nickel units, period, to right. meet the growth for stainless steel and to meet the growth for electric vehicles going forward.
0: That's fantastic. Um, that's helped me understand it certainly. So, you, the, you know, there, there has been in the past discussions about premiums you know, on one versus the other, but you're saying the way the market's setting itself up means that that's going to take that issue away as a concern.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and part of the reason it got some traction was about 18 months ago, two years ago, yes, nickel sulfate prices at that time were trading at about a $2,000 a ton premium mm. to metal in China because, again, you had the surge. In, in demand that started, and the supply just hadn't a chance to get going. You know, today nickel sulfate premiums, or recently, I haven't looked. You know, this week, but nickel sulfate premiums in China were zero. You right. know, so okay. um, the key, the, and that's where I encourage investors. It's again, is don't get caught up. If something's trading at a short term very high premium or a short term big discount, don't extrapolate three months or six months and say that's that's the long term sustainable value well, for that premium discount.
0: Well, hence talking to people like you, who kind of have been through a couple of cycles sort of understand, understand, you know, the machinations of of, of the sector. So like, I appreciate that. Um, can we talk about power We've had so many people come back about your comment around HPAL, Okay, because you know some companies set themselves up and say, you know, we're we're, we're HPAL ready. I a to use, use a term. Um, and you made a comment to us and saying, you know, um, that the, the, the cheapest, well, the only and therefore the cheapest uh, builder of a HPAL uh, plant, it's cost them over a billion bucks. So anyone that's telling you it will cost, you, cost them less to build than that, they need to have a pretty good reason to, as to how they justify that going forward. Right. So that's obviously impacts on what a lot of some companies, a handful of companies are saying to the market at the moment. So it's quite a big statement from you. And people have asked, you know, you know, where's your certainty come from? Where, where 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 why are you so confident that going forward people aren't going to be able to deliver a HPAL project cheaper than say a billion bucks?
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah. So where that comes to is 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 is, is sort of forty think about it as sort of forty thousand dollars per ton of installed capacity. So that's sum- the only company that has successfully done two HPAL plants um, is, is Sumitomo Metal Mining. And their costs to, to build those plants were between thirty and forty thousand dollars per ton of capacity, just to make an intermediate product that they shipped right. to their existing refinery in Japan. So right. they're not going all the way to a pure nickel sulfate or pure metal or pure briquette, which is just additional costs that that have to be built into it. So th- this is the best case performer, number one. Number two, they're building these in the Philippines, which is about you know, lots of companies build modules in the Philippines because the construction work there is, you know, is the you know highest productivity, lowest cost place in the world to build those things. So, you know, again, relative to Australia, relative to Europe, relative to Canada, you know, um, you know, the Philippines, you know, is a very low cost place to, you know, build these type of operations. So, you know, unless the operation has higher grade mm-hmm. than the operations that um, uh, Sumitomo Metal Mining have built, which is you know in the one point three to one point four percent range. And the reason they built those ones was that the grade was pretty good. Um, two, you know, unless it's in a place that's cheaper to build stuff than the Philippines, you know, then you know or you know, or that they have, you know, have way more infrastructure. That might be one thing that may exist in some places, right, relative to where you know Sumitomo Metal Mining built, built their operations. But you know, that's what you need to ask yourself to say, okay, you know, do I believe this company's capital cost number or not?
0: Okay, that's fair enough. So look, you, what you've said to me, what I've heard there is that don't worry about class one or class two. This there's a, there's an intermediate solution which is. Is uh, going to be coming into the market. It's coming thick and fast. And You're saying worry about nickel units. There's not going to be enough nickel to to cope with the demand for nickel. So that's a selling message. I want to help retail investors understand what are the red flags. So there's a lot of come on mining is mining. People go around. There's, there's there's promoters and brokers and intermediaries, and they all go and. Loudly trumpet their story around the marketplace, and uh, it's not always true, and it doesn't always, you know, come come to be. So, what are the red flags around nickel? If what do companies need to have or need not to have in place? Because not all nickel stories will work out. They're not all going to be economic. So, what what, what do you look out for as an investor? Yeah. So, so yeah, as an
1: investor. So, I, I think that you know the key thing is, you know, one is is scale and grade. You need Ideally, if you've got both, you know those are fantastic. But so what, what does scale mean? What do, mean scale? what do you mean by scale?
0: What do you mean by
1: scale that you can produce, you know, um, you know, a sizable amount of nickel, you know, for a reasonable period of time, say, you know, twenty to thirty thousand tons minimum for at least you know ten to twenty years. You know, that very quickly gets rid of a bunch of you know potential okay. opportunities you need to have cuz again most pro, like again there are the rare project that has an extremely low capital cost but at the end of the day there's a chunky enough you know amount of capital that's required to get into these operations yeah. now if if the grades high enough you can get away with a smaller operation right. so that's that's the thing that you need to look at so if to, you have both yeah so things like Nova Bollinger um, when it was was just you know that's why it got acquired for a billion and a half dollars Right, you know that's why Boise's Bay was acquired for five billion dollars is because mm-hmm. it's a big deposit that had
0: very high grade. You know, so let's talk about grade. So let's help, help I did you, again. You did cover off the previous uh, discussion. Talk to, talk about grade. What is low grade? What's okay? And what's high?
1: Yeah. So again, you'd have to split that between underground and open pit. Okay. So you know, for, for underground, you know, two to three percent plus would be high grade. Anything less than that would be low grade. Mm-hmm. Um, For for open pit, high grade would be anywhere from kind of point seven to one percent. Again, depends on the strip ratio. Mm -hmm. You know, anything lower than that would be would be lower grade.
0: Right, but lower grade can work if there's enough scale to it.
1: Enough scale to make it work, which is what Dumont and then what we have at Crawford. You know, that's you know that's the key there is they're just very very large deposits in places with lots of infrastructure. Right. Okay.
0: And what else makes you nervous? You you got scale, you got grade. What else is there?
1: Yeah, so that in terms of the, the so the nature of the deposits one the other part in terms of just two, you know, the location of the project. So, you know, again, political risk and uh, infrastructure, right? You know, again, it's it's much easier and faster to build a mine if all the infrastructure you need to build it is actually already in place. So, there's a lot of locations that are very remote that you have to spend money and time building the infrastructure before you can then start building, you know, building the mine. So that's where you look at big copper projects in the Andes. They cost three to four billion dollars because you have to spend one or two billion dollars for all the infrastructure, and then you spend another billion or two billion dollars to build the plant. You know, in places where there's infrastructure in place, so that's the benefit of something like Dumont. And then mm. what we have at Crawford mm. is all the infrastructure is already in place, so you can just build the plant right. um, and the mill
0: okay. and get going. Okay, without promoting your own uh, company too much. Just more generally, what what do you think um, investors when they're looking at the nickel market when they're hearing this EV story? What else should they be looking to avoid or, or look for?
1: Yeah, so so again, I think
0: you know the the market today is still tough
1: for exploration and development stories. You really do like where you're getting the premium valuations. If you look at some of the companies in copper and gold and Colombia and Ecuador, is that they have the scale that will attract them that the majors are willing to bid for right so right. they're really breaking out as a value category so again i think you know as investors are looking at opportunities as you want to look at you know you know you know is is it of a scale that's going to attract the big guys who are going to write the big checks they're going to make you as an investor a lot of money right so that's you know you know that's i think key as you, as you, as you're looking at opportunities and again if something's been around for 30 or 40 years if unless there's a really new take on it Again, the majors have probably looked at it ten years ago, and twenty years ago, and thirty years ago, and they didn't buy it then. So unless there's a really compelling reason why they should buy it now, they're really probably not, you know, not gonna, not gonna get there. So that would be number one. And then number two, again, I think there's low capital, low, um, very quick kind of restarts, brownfield things that, uh, you know, again, you know, there's a, there was a track record of production. You don't have to worry about will, will the mine work. You know, it's worked a bunch of times before. Right. And again, with the right team that has the experience to actually deliver it and has delivered it in the past, you know, then th- you know that's enough. You know, because they can generally get to free cash flow, um, you know, and use that to build a business as well. So those to me, those to me are the real two paths to take a look at.
0: That's that's really interesting. We, we've we've spoken to a few uh, gold companies, a few silver companies, even uranium company who are employing that model. So you've got to have a team who have kind of been there and done it before, as in the case of all of these individuals, but they're looking to get into production early.
1: You know, One other thing that, that again, in terms of this class 1, class 2, and, and then really around Nickel Sulphate, and I think investors need to be careful about is, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, we're just going to make Nickel Sulphate. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of important characteristics that of Nickel Sulphate that people really need to be conscious of. So, you know, Nickel sulfate, you you know, you take a product even that's only 22% nickel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, a lot of producers are taking a pure product and then making sulfate, which is a 22% product, or even most nickel intermediates have a nickel content that are, that's higher than 22%. So you're, you're downgrading the nickel content mm-hmm. and what you're shipping is a bunch of um, sulfate molecules and some water. And so... Do you really want to do that 4,000 miles away from your nearest customer, right? right. So, because right. all you're doing is adding a whole pile of costs to transport that material, you know, to the to the battery for the consumer.
0: Okay, so you're saying mar- oh, so it's margin better margin to
1: ship margin. the intermediate to right. closer to the market and then process it close to the, to to where it's going.
0: Got it. So, so sulfides are not necessarily as cost efficient uh, as people may may say. So you need the all-in cost, as it were.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, because okay. because okay. yeah, and so the and the other part of it too is that when you make nickel sulfate, the biggest one of the biggest cost components is is to take the sulfate ad- molecules that are in solution and dry out the solution so that you crystallize it. So you, that requires a lot of energy, and again, in a lot of locations, energy is not cheap, particularly because the the first step that when you send it to the, you know the person who's going to upgrade it and turn it into a usable battery product, they dissolve it again. So, in terms of the overall value chain, it's a pretty stupid process to crystallise it, ship it, and then re-dissolve it again. I mean, that's what Nickel-Pig Iron Integrated Stainless Steel was all about. They used to make fair Nickel, they'd cool it, they'd ship it, and the first thing, the stainless steel plant was melted again, right? So, you know, the chinese said oh that's stupid you know and, and so the same i think you're going to see the same thing happen in the ev space a lot of the downstream players are going to find way and i know cuz we had discussions with them when i was at rnc you know they're going to look for ways to build a front end onto their plant so they can take a nickel intermediate directly into their plant right. dissolve it once and make a final product that you know goes to the you know goes to the, the the battery maker, car consumer, who, you know, or however far down integrated they are. The only time it really makes sense to make sulfate is if you're you're already getting it into solution. So as a you know in an HPAL project, if it's you've leached it, you haven't built your plant yet to 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 make it a high grade product. Um, in that case, maybe if you're close enough to somebody, it might make sense to make sulfate rather than than a pure product. But the the other piece these things these companies are all going to deal with is that you know the the purity restrictions on nickel sulfate are going to get stricter and stricter because you know all the car companies want to use more nickel because that's what gives it the energy density which gives it the range.
0: Right. The
1: problem is is the nickel is also the thing that makes the battery, in combination with a couple other things, catch fire. Combustible. Yeah. So they're pretty concerned about catching fire, and so they have a bunch of systems to help ma- make sure that doesn't happen well if you have random you know iron atoms or cobalt atoms or copper atoms or other elements that are in the product that ma- that complicates things so you know as we go from 33% nickel to 50% 60 80 90% 95% nickel you know they want stuff that has as as as, as is as pure as possible into the process and so do you as a mining company want to continue to invest to be able to meet the quality stand, increasing quality standards that are going to exist going forward. And I think the answer to that is no. So um, yeah, so so again, unless there's a, so Terra Firma in, in Finland, um, they, they have, they, they leach um, sulphide ore um, and, and make a product and they, they hadn't, they were shipping an intermediate. So for them to make a nickel sulphate plant, to supply battery manufacturers in Europe, Excellent idea, right? And so they've already got a very complicated chemical plant making a chemical product out of a complicated chemical plant. You know, is okay because you need that expertise. Um, so for that scenario, that made sense. But there's I there's literally tens of other things that I've heard of that just makes zero sense to me. And, and again, to underscore with real world, not just Mark Selby's opinion about stuff, Glencore runs Myrn Myrn. It's a pressure acid leach plant. You know, it would be. You know, it, it's an option for them. And Glencore hasn't talked about making Nickel Sulphate directly. They're quite happy to ship 99.8% briquettes to the end consumer who pays them the premium for the briquette. And then they don't have to worry about the rest of the, the downstream process.
0: So. It's, it's I'm, I'm going to pick you up on, at a later date when you, when you talk about when you see things or companies that worry you. And I won't, necessarily, won't get you to name names, but I want to understand more about those. But Mark, thank you very much for going through that with us. And we've been reading in on, with interest you know, people's responses to your, your last piece. Um, thanks for that. And thank you for today. Stay in touch. We should catch up soon um, about uh, Canada Nickel, because th- when's, when's that actually going to actually hit the market? You're going to pop yeah, we're in the, you're in, the
1: in the final the... stretches of the regulatory approvals. Yeah, um, so um, uh, that's we fun. should be. <laughs> so oh, yeah, um, <laughs> we should be. We should be. You know, we're looking. Hopefully, by the end of next week. Okay, um, soon. You know, in a in a position to do that. So yeah, we're in the in the in the final stretches there. So you know next week or the week after. And again, we still need the very final, final blessings from the regulators, but we're making good progress on that front. So okay. so hopefully sooner than later. So,
0: Well, we'll look out for the, I'm sure you'll, there'll be a press release on it, but people will be able to start trading Canada Nickel in the next couple of weeks by the sounds of it.
1: Yep. No, it'll be a very exciting point in time.
0: Well, come and, come and, come and give us an update. Um, sounds like a great project. Love to hear more. And again, thank you very much for your insight. Beautiful.
1: No, thank you, Matthew. Glad to talk about Nickel.